Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Hello, Ashley. Well, hello, Candy. How are you? I'm good, thanks. And I'm excited because I am about to give you an update. Ooh, what? Okay. So I'm not sure if our listeners are aware of this, but right about the time that we started recording our podcast together was the exact same time that I decided I was going to pick up drinking tea. (laughs) I thought you were going to say just drinking. (laughs) Well, you know, (laughs) but I've been working at it. It is an acquired taste for me. Yes. And so I, I am happy to tell you that I have discovered a couple of teas that I really, really enjoy. Ooh, yeah. tell me what they are. Okay, so they're they're both through Harney and Sons, which is this little company that I, I have found to be delightful. And where, where are they? I don't know. I order oh, online. online. Okay. Yes, yes. But one of the flavors is Paris. Ooh. And so, yes, I, I really like that. I have to add, though, I have to add a little honey or I have to add some of that salted caramel flavoring in order to... Do they make that? Salted caramel flavoring? No, but I buy this called Tarani, I think. It's just this this flavoring that you can get at Kroger or cool. wherever, and it really helps. But then I decided, well, that's, you know, that's adding some stuff and, you know, calories, etc. Drink so, it straight. Drink it straight. Right. So I decided I'm going to look for something that I can drink just the way it is, uh-huh. and I found... Hot cinnamon spice tea, mm. again through Harney and Sons. Don't have to add a thing. You love it, it as is. I love it. Good, awesome. good, good. I yeah. love having tea converts. Yeah. So I knew you'd be pleased. I, I am thought I very would share. Much. Thank you. All right. So how are you doing? Anything new? Um, No, just editing, living life, strapped <laughs> to my computer. You know, yeah. the usual, the, the usual, usual life for me. The usual. I am pretty excited because usually with the the uh, podcast topics you give me a little hint and i have no clue what you're going to talk to me about today so i'm very interested to see what the topic is this is kind of fun yeah it is it's like christmas okay well then here here i'll hit you with um you gonna give me a hint nope oh okay (laughs) i'm just gonna hit you with a random question okay and this is still not going to tell you the topic okay I'll, i'll give you that hint so here's the question have you ever read the book or seen the movie the girl on the train no, but I read the Wikipedia summary. Oh, you have? <laughs> I think so. What yes. made you read a summary? Of- because I saw, I saw the preview. Yeah, you, you asked me if I'd read the book or seen mm-hmm. the movie. No, I saw. Isn't Emily Blunt in it? Yes. Yes. So I watched the preview and I was very intrigued, but I also get very spooked out by movies. Oh. So I wanted to make sure it wouldn't scare me. And <laughs> I read it and I ended up reading the spoilers. I think, but I don't remember it, so it may not count. But I remember going, okay, now I don't have to watch it. Oh, yeah. well. I, I actually enjoyed it. Oh, good. I, I, I read the book and saw the movie both. And She sees a murder from a train window, right? That is definitely a big part of this movie but there's and book, and there's so much more to it, though, than that. Okay. Um, yeah. It, I think it's because I saw Gone Girl in that movie. I didn't see it, like, right when it came out, but I remember renting it 
or getting it from the library or something. And then it came up R, like radar for language and violence. And like midway through the film, I forgot about the violence part. <laughs> and then the violent scene happened. And I just remember laying in bed going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. <laughs> so I was a little tainted and I was afraid that the, the train movie was going to do me dirt, dirty like that one did. <laughs> you were not prepared. I was not prepared again. for Gone Girl. <laughs> no. Well, it, it was not quite so graphic, I will say that. Okay. But um, I enjoyed I enjoyed okay. them both. I think there were some mixed reviews, if I recall, on the movie. I, I liked the movie, so mm-hmm. I was good. But I bring it up because they, they bill it as a psychological thriller, and I think it was. You mentioned Gone Girl. Yes. I would say that the two were very similar in the fact that they both had what I think has been referred to as the unreliable narrator. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I do remember that as I was reading the book, which I read the book first, as I as I was reading along in the beginning, I was not a fan of the main character. Like, which would be Emily Blunt in the movie? Yes, okay. Emily Blunt plays that character. They, they just portrayed her like the way that she um, was portrayed by the author, the way that her perspective came out, you, you found it hard or I found it hard to be sympathetic to her. Okay. And then there was a twist. Right. So as you go along, and and this is a spoiler for our listeners, I should warn you, but as you go along, there's a twist because what happens is you find out that narrator, that that main character is not what she seems. She's kind of been misportrayed because in all actuality, she is suffering from severe depression. She Mm -hmm. is an alcoholic, but you discover that her husband, her ex-husband, I should say, was actually gaslighting her. Oh, really? I don't um, remember that. When he, when she would black out drunk, he would tell her that she had done these terrible things that oh. she had not actually done. And it just sent her further and further into her depression and her alcoholism oh. because he was painting her to be this person that, that she wasn't, even to herself. And oh, like wow. she was questioning her own sanity. Yeah. So when she issues. sees this murder, is that part of the gaslighting? You can tell me. I uh, clearly I've already I already found this out and I've forgotten. Well, it's not, but she thinks it is. Like she's questioning, so did she, she sees, really see okay, it? Okay, she sees Did it murder. really happen? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the actor who played this character, Tom, the husband who ends up being the villain, again, spoilers all over the place. Mm-hmm. But he had a little quote that I want to read to you. This is from a Hollywood Reporter article that was released about the time that the movie came out back in 2016. So here, here's the quote. So I saw him more as a complete narcissist. He's a bad guy in the sense that it's laid out for the audience. Oh, his wife was depressive and she was drinking too much and making his life hard. When in reality, he was gaslighting her and supplanting memories into her that didn't exist. In reality, he was doing horrible things to her. So it was psychological abuse. Wow. He then did it to his second wife, or his current wife in the movie. And then, of course, we know what happens to the babysitter, whom he was also having an affair with. What happens to the babysitter? Does she die? She's the one who dies. Oh. So those behaviors struck me as very narcissistic. People who cannot take on any blame for their own actions, and in fact, when they're accused of blame... They projected onto Projection. someone else and accused them of making him do the things that he had to do. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like that was a great little quote from this actor, Justin Thoreau, that kind of provided a nice little look at that term gaslighting okay. and also relating it to another term that I think is often commonly associated with gaslighting, which is that idea of being a narcissist. Right. Um, not that they are have to be combined, but oftentimes they are. They usually are. Right. Yeah. 
So are you doing gaslighting? I am doing gaslighting. (laughs) That is the focus of our episode today. And I wanted to start with this. I know it seems unrelated, but what's going to happen is when we get to the origins of the term gaslighting, we're going to be going back into the 1940s, 1930s. And I thought, well, let's start with a contemporary example before we back it up and and dig back a little bit. That was good. I like that. I like it. Thanks. So before we go any further, actually, what's your understanding of the term gaslighting? Mm, well, pretty much the what you've already said, it's trying to convince or su- usually successfully convincing someone that they have done or haven't done something that they have or haven't done. You know, like uh, I know where you're going with it now, which is the play, which is where you're going to end up. Mm-hmm. But I feel like a gaslighting is projecting um, your own faults onto somebody else, but also you can be lying and um, psychologically misleading. It's it's a whole lot of stuff Mm -hmm. wrapped into one thing. And I think the play really shows it the best. And and sometimes the person who is the gaslighter will be one way in public. They'll be very gregarious in the life of the party and everybody loves them, but at home they'll be a completely different person. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like they get, the gaslighter gets kicks or perverse pleasure out of gaslighting their victim or psychologically manipulating their victim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty good definition of gaslighting. Here, here's what psychology today says. Mm-hmm. Gaslighting is a form of psychological abuse where a person or group makes someone question their sanity, perception of reality, or memories. Right. People experiencing gaslighting often feel confused, anxious, and unable to trust themselves. Mm -hmm. And then it goes on to say gaslighting can happen in any type of relationship, although we often think of it, of course, with like romantic Romantic. relationships, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But it says in psychology today that we could see gaslighting with any power situation, whether it's dictators, whether it's political, narcissists, because the ultimate aim is to gain control over another person by making them question their self-worth, self-worth, excuse me, and doubt the reality, which drives them to rely on that person who's doing it to them. Yeah, it's a really weird dichotomy because the person usually, usually if you are being gaslighted or if you figure out that you're being gaslighted, it's, this sounds weird, it's almost a it's not a compliment, but it, it means that you have something that they want mm. where you are talented or beautiful or you have some quality that they envy. So you are the light, you are the good, and they see you and they want to destroy that and they want it for themselves, but they don't know how to get it for themselves because really the person who is the gaslighter is like this empty shell mm. of a person. So they're trying to almost, they, they can also be called energy vampires. Mm where they will try to take on your traits and drain you to this husk of a person, and then they discard you because they've used up all of you. Right. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And that's a very positive way to look at it because, Mm -hmm. you know, so often we just like focus on the terrible things that can happen to somebody, the effects on that person who's being gaslighted. But as you said, in a way, it's saying how much worth this person does have that they would be victimized in that way or chosen. Yeah. Yeah. You are chosen because you are good. Mm Mm-hmm. Not for any other, well, I mean, I don't know, but yes, you are, you are chosen because you have qualities of goodness and righteousness and they don't. Mm -hmm. So they have to take it from you. Well, I found it interesting as I was doing the research, how widely used this term is. Well, for example, automatically, uh, one of the first things I saw was the group called the Chicks, Mm -hmm. formerly Formerly the Dixie Dixie Chicks. Yeah. They named their album 
Gaslighter last year. I know. Have you seen that music video? I saw a little piece of it. Yeah, it's apparently it's a very thinly veiled reference to the the lead singer. Natalie, is that her name? I know that's one of them, but I'm not sure. The one that's which. not the sister. Okay. I believe she was married to a Hollywood actor. I think he was on Heroes and they broke up and then she wrote this song. Oh. So it's kind of like this is who this is about. Hmm. I didn't see that. I saw speculation that some people said it was about an ex. Some people said it was about something political. You know, mm-hmm. like people were speculating different I don't think things, so. but that I think makes it was sense. About him. Yeah, that makes total sense. But it, but it's mentioned all over the place. I mean, I had no trouble um, mm-hmm. finding examples when I looked it up. So then, where does it originate? And of course, you knew automatically as soon as you found out the term. You mm-hmm. knew exactly where it came from. Mm-hmm. And I know you've seen this play because you were kind enough to come see me in it. Um, and you were wonderful. Thank you. And and of course, um, another theater in our area did it as well within a year so and they were also wonderful yes they were this term gaslight comes from the 1938 play gaslight by patrick hamilton it was formerly called angel street correct well there's an english version and a like an american and a british version right Mm -hmm. yes yes when it first came out it must have been popular pretty quickly because that same year that it came out it actually opened in london so 1938 it was already out in london And then in 1941 is when it opened on Broadway. And that's when it was out under the name Angel Street. Oh, okay. Why did they change the name? Do you know? The setting in the play is Angel Street. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why they decided to make that change, but... Maybe they thought people don't know what gaslight means. Was it gaslight or gaslighting? It was gaslight. Gaslight. Mm -hmm. I think that's a cooler name. I think it's a cooler name, especially once you've seen the play and you understand Mm -hmm. the significance. Yes. But maybe they thought to an audience who didn't know the story, as we all do now, maybe Angel Street sounded more appealing. Who knows? Maybe because, because it's an Angel Street, but he's not an angel. He's a devil. So the devil lives on Angel Street. That'd have been a cool name. Hmm. Yeah. The devil on Angel Street. Or maybe the appeal of, because it's set in London and here we are in America, maybe kind of that idea of Victorian London and Angel Street. Maybe. Bringing that to mind. That Who makes knows? Sense. But you will find this interesting. I'm going to make you guess, okay. as a matter of fact. <laughs> Who do you think played the lead male, Jack Manningham, in that first 1941 Broadway production. Was it Charles Boyer? No, good guess. Was he in the movie? He was in the movie. Okay. Uh, give me a hint. Can you give me a he hint? He does a lot of creepy shows. Vincent Price. It was Vincent Price. Wow. I know. I was he's so a good choice. I never would have thought of it, though. But he's a good choice. He is a good choice. In that first Broadway production, we had Vincent Price playing Jack Manningham, and Judith Evelyn played the character that I had the privilege to play, which was Bella. Mm-hmm. But here's another little interesting side note. I'm kind of taking a little turn here off topic for just a second. But apparently the two did not get along. Really? Because he left within about a year. And there was a quote from the leading lady, Judith Evelyn, that said they had developed a, quote, violent dislike for each other. Dang. I wonder if it was the play. <laughs> the play was uh, in Truth uh, Copying Fiction. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. And again, just one other little tiny piece of trivia, just because I know you'll enjoy it, is the fact that their opening was in 1941, and it was around the time of the bombing of Pearl Harbor, which actually, of course, affected their sales and performances right there in the beginning. But they bounced back very quickly, and Angel Street was a hit in its Broadway premiere, and this is a little quote taken from Wikipedia that says, it remains one of the longest-running non-musicals in Broadway history to this day. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that this number is now outdated, but at the time, 
that they they took account, I guess, there were 1,295 total performances it had had at that point. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. So it was so popular, so well-received that it did, as you foreshadowed, it did turn into a couple of film versions. The British film version of the play came out in 1940, even prior to opening on Broadway here in oh, America. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it must have been popular there, obviously, mm-hmm. first, and mm-hmm. then kind of moved over here. Americans were, were probably, obviously, more familiar with the American film adaptation, which came out in 1944. It was called Gaslight, and it starred Ingrid Bergman, Charles Boyer, Joseph Cotton, and... Angela Lansbury. Angela Lansbury. <laughs> and it was, As a saucy maid. She was. She was only 18 years That's old. That's amazing. I know. And it was her screen debut... And she was nominated for an Oscar. Wow. Yeah. That's not a... And I can't remember from the movie. That's not a very large role. No, but she made it count. She she must have. <laughs> the movie actually was nominated for seven Academy Awards. It took two of them, but the only actor who won was Ingrid Bergman. And she oh, got Best Actress. Awesome. Yeah. I guess maybe there was that novelty because you, that's not something that you talked about back then. We talk about it more now in a modern era because I think with the advent of the internet and the connectivity of everything, people are able to talk to each other but back then you could have suffered from this and had no idea what it was Mm -hmm. so the first thing that comes out and talks about here is something that's happening people could have looked at it they could have identified with it Mm -hmm. and this would be the first like kind of psychological profile of a condition that nobody really talks about yeah the fact that it well you said two things there i think the fact that it was a psychological thriller Mm -hmm. i mean it was intense Mm -hmm. that alone will draw people in but yeah the novelty of that Mm -hmm. idea of this man making her question her own sanity yep yeah before we dig into the gaslighting part of it i saw this summary of the play put out by samuel french that i thought was Pretty nice and concise, so if you'll bear with me, I'll just read this to you very quickly. Angel Street is described as a Victorian thriller. It tells the story of the Manninghams, who live on Angel Street in 19th century London. As the curtain rises, all appears to be the essence of Victorian tranquility. It is soon apparent, however, that Mr. Manningham, a suavely handsome man, is slowly driving his gentle, devoted wife Bella to the brink of insanity with an insinuating kindness that masks more sinister motives. Mm -hmm. While he is out, Mrs. Manningham has an unexpected caller, amiable paternal Inspector Ruff from Scotland Yard. Ruff is convinced that Mr. Manningham is a homicidal maniac wanted for a murder committed 15 years earlier in this very house. Gradually, the inspector restores Bella's confidence in herself, and as the evidence against Manningham unfolds, the author has built and sustained some of the most brilliant, suspenseful sequences in modern theater. Yes, when he forgets his hat. I remember the audience was like, get your hat, get your hat! (laughs) It's true, the whole audience jumped in, didn't they? Mm -hmm. So that was a nice little summary of the play, but... It really was. Thank you. I'm saying thank you as though I wrote it. (laughs) Thank (laughs) Thank you, you, Samuel French. We appreciate your work. Thank you for reading that so succinctly. (laughs) Well, you're welcome. (laughs) But anyway, from performing the play, I was trying to think back to that gaslighting part of it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, so what were some of those examples? And again, I love this play. I just thought it was so brilliantly written. But it had, even from the very beginning of the play, it just brought out that tension so quickly because... We, we just so rapidly discover that 
Bella had a mother with mental illness. Right. And because her mother, her husband very unkindly would talk about her as being crazy. And so Bella had such a fear that she would be crazy herself and her husband played on that. Right. That's something that we haven't talked about. In gaslighting, usually the first phase of gaslighting nobody nobody would just accept someone insulting them right out of the mm-hmm. right out of the gate that isn't usually what happens so usually what happens is what's called a honeymoon period mm-hmm. honeymoon period where you meet this person and you're you just get along better than anything than anything that you've mm-hmm. ever known before they contact you all the time they talk to you all the time it's it's butterflies it's it's we have the same goals we want the same things in life and usually they will move very very quickly like they will progress the relationship very quickly from just friendship to even platonically like say mm-hmm. your platonic friends they'll want to be your exclusive friend right and then they'll start insulting your other friends and getting you isolated and alone and then when you're isolated alone then they kind of pull back on all of that mm-hmm. affection and you it's like a it's like a hit from a drug you remember the really good times right. so you keep sticking around for those good times and they keep withdrawing more and more but then when you're almost to the point of leaving them they'll bring out the affection again right so it's this give and take and that's something that he had done to Bella Oh, obviously. Yes. And they find out your vulnerabilities. So in the honeymoon phase, you'll talk about things that you're insecure about. Like you just exchange things. Here's here's my hopes. Here's my dreams. Here's what I feel insecure about. And usually they will latch onto those insecurities and they will start pointing them out in the, um, the fallout phase. Mm. And making you feel bad about it. That was a nice little analysis. Thank you. Yeah. And you're right. I, I saw that in the play as I kind of went back and reviewed it. He had, we found out through the exposition that Jack had gotten Bella. You know, he they'd had their little romantic, you know, that dating. That, I bet it was a That whirlwind. courting. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Very quick. And then he had convinced her after the marriage to move away from her family. We find Isolation. out later that he totally cut her off. In yep. fact, Later, much later in the play, we find out he had even hidden their communications yep. from her. She had no idea they'd been writing these letters. Mm-hmm. So he had her isolated. He had her in this home where she was at the mercy of him, of course. Yes. And then the maid that he was having an affair with, played by Angela Lansbury in the movie. So so there was no love there. That right. maid was, was hostile, if anything. Right. So the only person on her side was the other kind maid, Elizabeth. That's right. I forgot about Elizabeth. Um, That's right. Yeah. And but that was a very subtle relationship because, right. you know, it was kind of a, a mistress of this Victorian manner versus, you know, a maid and, and, that she didn't she, open up to quite exactly. as much what as she, she would have. What is she gonna say to her too? What mm-hmm. is this maid gonna say? I think your husband is abusing you, she'd get fired. Right, exactly. So she you have to in those days the maid would quote unquote know her place. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, it, it, it makes me think of that, that scene, and this is totally off the wall, but that scene in Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one, where Kira Knightley is being put to bed by her maid, and she's talking about being uh, proposed to by the, the governor's, wh- whoever that first guy is. And the, the maid says, well, Will Turner, he's a good match, too. Mm-hmm. And she just immediately says, that is too bold. And she says, I'm sorry, miss. I was I didn't remember my place. Right. So just they're, they're not friends. Right, because of the social cast Cor- at that time. Correct. Yeah. But at the same time, Elizabeth is a lovely character yes. in this play, and that relationship does end up playing a nice role. But but back to thinking about those examples of, of how he would gaslight Bella. Again, towards the beginning of the play, you found out that Things would go missing, his cufflinks, his watch, maybe a receipt for something. And 
Bella would say where she had put it, or she would deny that she had moved something that had disappeared, and then they would find it in her work basket or someplace where it just looked like it could have been no one but herself. And of course, her husband would be saying, no, you've done this. It it had to be you to the point to where she starts questioning herself. And it just Mm -hmm. builds and escalates, you know, one situation after another. Which we know the point. There was an end game. He wanted her... Didn't he want her to be, again, spoilers, this is just a big old spoiler show, but didn't he want her to be declared insane and, and so he could just look yes. through the house? Really, the whole point, was it her house? Yes. They'd used her money. To buy the house. Because she had the inheritance. So part of it is he wants her inheritance, but he also, hidden in the house, we discover, mm-hmm. are those other jewels. Right. He thinks that the jewels... So he uses, he meets her, uses her money to buy the house, and the reason he has her, he needs to drive her crazy just to get her out of the way. Mm-hmm. So he can keep the inheritance. And, and get also rid of her. have this house where right. he thinks these very valuable jewels are hidden because right. he committed a murder there right. and, and believes they're in that home. And yes. you can't find them. Okay. Exactly. It's been a couple of years since I was in the play. So I had to actually stop and ask myself, why is the play called Gaslight? You know, where did that title come from? Right. And I reviewed the script a little bit, actually, just to kind of bring it back to mind. It's for the light. It is. Mm -hmm. But the significance is, in this house, the upstairs was off limits. Her husband had locked it off. Jack Manningham had locked it off. No one was allowed to go in there. But he, of course, he had Bella isolated, and he would leave her alone all the time. He would tell her he was going out on the town. He was doing different things. And... He would leave, and she'd be alone, already scared, feeling isolated, you mm-hmm. know, feeling like she's going crazy. And not long after he would leave, she would notice a flickering of the lights. Right. And then she would hear footsteps overhead. Right, and which she made would, her feel crazy. Yes. She would think someone was in the house. She would be terrified. And then it would go on for a while. She would get in her bed. She would hide out, et cetera. And then the lights would flicker again, and not long after, Jack would he'd be back. She would hear him coming. And so whenever she would tell him, she thought somebody was upstairs. She, you know, she had these suspicions, et cetera. She was crazy. She was imagining things. Right. It was all in her head. Right. And so he used that as a device to, again, you know, make her question her own sanity. At the same time, when we finally have Sergeant Ruff come into the story and he starts to help Bella understand that she's not going crazy, that there's some substance to all these suspicions she has, we find out that these gaslights were also her clue. This woman is stronger than she appears because she reveals to the sergeant, no, I started to put it together. I started to have suspicions because... Those gaslights, they always flickered right before the footsteps. It was right after he had left. Right. And then... And the and the science behind it is because there's, there's lights all over the building. It's before mm-hmm. electricity. So the gas that is powering the downstairs lights, when someone else turns on more lights upstairs, her lights go to half exactly. power. So when there's somebody up there using the lights, and then when he turns them off, her lights come back up. Mm-hmm. So the gaslight is also the clue, which got turned into a form of abuse. Yeah. Yes, but, and also what ends up, in a way, saving her. It was the clue that helped her figure it out. Right. And then later in the play, it's the cue that lets her know when he's coming back. Yes, because, yes, yes we have that big climactic oh, golly, scene. yes. Loved it. So that's the history behind the play and where this term originated. Before we move back into more contemporary times and, and this term of gaslighting... Why don't we pause and take a little break? Sounds good to me.
right, we're back and ready to talk a little bit more about gaslighting. So actually something that was interesting to me, we said earlier that there are lots of different forms of gaslighting or different circumstances where they might occur. One that came up in my research that I hadn't thought about before was called medical gaslighting. Ooh. I know. I didn't dig too deeply into this, but just as a mention... There's some kind of a foundation called CPTSD. Don't ask me what that stands for. But according to this foundation, they said medical gaslighting occurs when a doctor or medical professional dismisses or trivializes a person's health concerns based on the assumption that that person is mentally ill. So for example, when they tell a person that the symptoms are all in their head, Uh that would be medical gaslighting. They said there was a 2009 study where they found that doctors were twice as likely to attribute coronary heart disease symptoms in a middle-aged woman as being a mental health issue versus if it was a middle-aged man who complained of it. Great. Right? So they have referred to that as medical gaslighting. I wonder what the opposite of that is, because there's that awesome podcast called uh, Dr. Death, and the second season was about... Pretty much the opposite of this. It was about a doctor who was telling patients that they were sick when they were not. And he was giving them chemotherapy. (gasps) And some of them died from unnecessary chemotherapy because he had them on it for years. That is horrible. Yes, it was a good season. It was true life, true crime. Wow. I wonder what that term is. I may have to look into that, but it sounds pretty terrible. It was. So moving on to the form of gaslighting that that we said we're more familiar with and that that is definitely i think the most common is that domestic gaslighting yes according to the national domestic violence hotline they said that gaslighting occurs because someone wants to gain control over someone else that's something that we've said before right it's said that you often learn it by watching others which is interesting. I'm not quite sure what they mean by that whether you learn how to gaslight by doing it or whether they're saying that by being super observant of that person that you want to gaslight is how you then play on their insecurities and their fears. And maybe both because maybe, maybe if a, um, a child is raised in a home where they see the father treating the mother or the mother treating the father, let's be fair about it. Either spouse, either parent treating either parent that way. That's just a learned behavior because that becomes normal Mm -hmm. to them. So however you see, however you see, let's just use dad and mom. However you see dad, if you're a son, if however you see dad treating mom, you're going to think that's the way you're supposed to treat women. So you're just going to grow up and become that person. Normalizes that behavior. Normalizes it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. It goes on to say an abusive person may feel that they are entitled to control other people or that their feelings or opinions matter the most. Yeah. Flipping back again to that example we started with, the girl on the train. I thought it was interesting how in that quote I read from Justin Thoreau, he talked about a few of the actions that his character Tom took in in the context of that movie. For example, you even commented on it, the projection, right? Yes. He, he yes. blamed the actions and projected it onto the women that he was gaslighting. And so I thought it would be interesting to pause for a minute and share with you guys who are listening some of the top warning signs of gaslighting according to Psychology Today. Let's hear it. Okay. So from their list, the first one is this person tells frequent lies but then denies it outright Mm. and instead accuses other people or you of lying. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. is that projection that we were just talking about. Something interesting I found is if you are suspecting someone of being a gaslighter, you can act, if you ask them a direct question 
about X, Y, or Z, they will probably lie about it. But if you lis- listen to what they say in the asides, mm. that's when they're telling the truth. And oh. that's when they usually confess without realizing it to being a gaslighter or an abuser or what X, Y, Z, because they will usually comment like, uh, if they hurt someone's feelings, they'll say that this, I enjoyed that or just really wacky mm. things. And and then we, as we, hopefully I'm a good person, but we listening to it go, that can't be real. And you'll just do what they always say, which I didn't think much about it. Mm-hmm. Always. When you hear that stuff, think something about it. So that you, you think it's a joke or an aside. Yes. Because you would never say that, mm-hmm. but listen to what they say in the asides. Mm. But if you ask them a direct question, they will lie. Well, that is interesting. Mm -hmm. Some other warning signs, this person telling you you're crazy, you're misremembering things, or you're, quote, losing your mind. Mm -hmm. Now, this is interesting. If they deny saying or doing something, even if you clearly witnessed it, you watch them do it and they will still look you in the eye and say, no, I didn't. Yes. Yes. Belittling or trivializing your feelings. It's not that big a deal. It didn't really hurt. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why are you overreacting? Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. You're making this into a big deal. Right. Saying that people are saying things behind your back would be another warning sign. Mm -hmm. Attacking your character. And then the last warning sign they listed was refusing to listen to or understand you. For example, saying things like, well, you're not making any sense. Or Mm. I am not going to have this discussion with you again. Right, right. Do they mention anything about flying monkeys? No. What does that mean? A flying monkey is the henchman of the gaslighter. So it is usually a group of people that the gaslighter or the um, narcissistic abuser has convinced that what they're saying is true. Mm. So in this case, um, the maid was a flying monkey of Mr. Manningham. Because he had told her and convinced her that his wife was crazy and that, uh, you know, I'm the I'm the smart one, I'm the intelligent one, and I just have I'm saddled with this woman, and mm-hmm. she believed him. Right. So she assisted in the abuse because she was on his side. So it'll oh. be it'll and that's that's when it gets even the abuse gets even more significant is the amount of flying monkeys. Oh, that's an excellent point. And it, yeah, and it's from the Wizard of Oz. The term is from the Wizard. I, I yeah, yeah, I assumed it was, but. That explanation makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. They'll do the they'll do the gaslighters bidding either because they know the truth and they're in on it and they are enjoying it as well. But usually it's because they believe the gaslighter mm-hmm. or the abuser. And if you go back to what we discussed earlier about their motivation, like that person wanted more control and they're getting it because right. the more you question yourself, you're right. you're giving them more control right. and other people pick up on that yeah. too. Yeah, you got to think of it as like an exchange of energy. You have the positive energy and they have negative energy. So they are draining you. It's like a battery. They are mm-hmm. draining you of your positive energy. But because they have a negative source, it just keeps turning into negative. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, but it almost like feeds them and they get bigger and bigger as they drain each person. And then they'll just... They'll discard you. And a lot of the times the person who's been discarded is like, what did I do wrong? And they'll right. think they'll want that relationship back because they're still wanting those good days. Those early good days mm-hmm. are so good that it has the power to make them feel like I want to go back to what that was, but you're never going to. Oh, what is that behaviorist? Was it, I don't know. I can't remember my, my studies from college, but like BF Skinner or somebody that intermittent reinforcement where mm-hmm. that's the way that you mm-hmm. really keep people hanging on. Yeah. It's like a slot machine. Yeah. You never know when it's going to hit. Yeah. You'll play and play and play. It'll hit in a row, like several, 
several minutes in a row and you'll be, but like, then it'll stop hitting. But mm-hmm. you're still going to try because, well, I hit just a few minutes ago. Right. That's how you lose all your money. Think of it like <laughs> that too. So true. Well, to kind of bring this part to a close, I thought this was super interesting. I found on the National Domestic Violence Hotline in the site, they offered some ideas of how you could gather proof if you thought you were being gaslighted. Mm, I like that. So here are four suggestions, I believe. Yes, four suggestions for what you might do if you were trying to kind of combat this this action of being gaslighted. Okay. All right. First of all, suggestion number one, keep a secret diary. Mm, very will, secret. Very, very, very secret. secret. Right. Yeah. But this would help you to track events, including dates, times, details of what happened. Yeah. For yourself, for your own memory, but also if you needed to prove something. Validation. Right. This one makes sense to me, talking to somebody you trust. Right. A friend, a counselor, a family member. This could not only give you an outside perspective to kind of help you check in with like your sense of reality and where you are, but it could also be an external person to help you kind of track events and information and what's happening. Or maybe even somebody that keeps the diary for you. Yeah. Because if it's unsafe to keep it at your own home, you could maybe text it to the person, like here's what happened, then delete the text and that person records it for you. Yeah, that's a good idea. Taking pictures, which again could be a fact check, help you you know, clarify your memories and remind you of of different things, Um, especially if you really were questioning yourself. This helps to confirm you're not imagining things, remembering those details. Right. And then the last one, keeping voice memos, using a cell phone or some other device to describe events in a quick way. Could be a recording that could be used later, although, of course, they made a note about state laws and for on recordings would have to be checked if you were ever in a situation, heaven forbid, of, you know, having to go right. to court or something like that. Right, right, right. So those actually came from, I should say my source, medicalnewstoday.com. I like those. I would add, if you feel safe, maybe, maybe even creating a fake Facebook profile and join some groups, narcissist mm. groups, especially narcissists to, to read other people's accounts. Mm-hmm. Cause a lot of the times you may think you're the only one lot. That's what, because you're isolated, you think I'm the only one suffering like this. And then they in those kind of groups. They will ask the question, does your significant other, if you're still with them, do they, or your ex significant other or your friend or whoever you're experiencing the abuse from, did they do this? And mm-hmm. you'll, the amount of yeses and their stories and you'll go, Oh my gosh, this is exactly what I felt and what mm-hmm. I went through. Well, Good suggestion. Well, that's the end of that portion of our episode. That was a really good episode. Thank you. But you all know by now that we like to move into the portion that we call our armchair psychologist segment. Armchair psychologist. I feel like we've been in that armchair. This I know, I think episode. so too. I don't think we got up from the armchair this time. <laughs> that is such a good point. We're we, just going to shift positions. We weighed in a lot yes, with our speculation yes. and our own opinions already, but just our, our standard disclaimer. Our officially wildly <laughs> speculating. That's right. We, we just want to make it clear that we are giving lots of opinions that have no basis in any kind of expertise or knowledge. We're I just, hope they realize that by now. Right, I do too. The question I thought I would pose to you, Ashley, we are hearing, we, we've talked about it several times already through the episode that this idea of gaslighting is just so much more prevalent now. And so my question to you is thinking about what you've experienced in life. Of course, we're not talking about giving any examples or, right. or any, you know, right, right. anything like that. But do you feel that gaslighting is as common as it seems to be based on how we're hearing about it in the news and in media and et cetera, just based on your observations of the world? Yes, I do. I think it's one of the Mm, it's this is a bad word, but I think it's one of the major plagues 
of Mm. this, of society. I think there is way more narcissists than we realize. And I think that the internet, like I was saying before, I feel like the advent of the internet and the advent of being able to talk to like-minded people is showing how prevalent and how diseased society is from these people, from Mm. these narcissistic people. And the reason I know so much about the research is not only like, like I have had personal experience with my own emotional abusers, but that aside, the last, what, when was it? In 2019, my mom, Rebecca Raymer and I wrote, co-wrote a play called He Need to Killin', which is a very uh, Southern defense phrase, you know, he need to kill him. <laughs> but we wrote it about a narcissist and emotional abuse and the friends that surrounded this victim. So I did a lot of researching mm. during that time. And of course, my mom, Rebecca, she did a ton of research. And that's when we learned all about this kind of stuff. So that's why you were able to speak so knowledgeably about I this, even though you had no idea yeah, what topic was Yeah, that's coming. right. It, I really <laughs> didn't know. And I was like, oh, I actually, I can I can sound smart today. But it's been a, it's been a few years since we did this, but it has, it helped me so much to kind of come to terms with my own experiences and to, you just, and it's really hard for people who have never been through it because you would just say, well, why don't you just leave? Or if it's a romantic Mm -hmm. relationship, or why don't you just stop being friends with that person? Or why don't you just leave the situation? Mm -hmm. But you don't understand how much they get into your brain Mm -hmm. and make you feel like you are the problem. You don't think that you need to leave a situation. You think you are the problem in the situation. You're trying to continually fix it, not realizing that it is unfixable. Mm. And the only solution is to leave. Yeah. It's interesting because you've used the term narcissist a lot. Yeah. And at one point in the research, I I started to question. I'm like, I I referenced this earlier, I I know, but it's, in my mind, I started to, to, make those synonymous, like narcissism and gaslighting seemed right. almost like they had to be hand in hand. Right, and right. It, it, at one point in some article, it mentioned that it could be a sociopath or a psychopath, mm-hmm. not just a narcissist who would do this to you. But it did seem to come up a lot, <laughs> the yeah. term narcissism. So yeah. why do you think they're so closely, you know, like, why do you think it's narcissists who are so m- much more likely to gaslight someone? Well, going back in the Greek myth- Greek or Roman mythology, I don't know, narcissist was the one that loved his own reflection. But I think it's because a person who is a narcissist, they have no inner self, really. They don't know who they are. So they tend to try to take on the characteristics of the good and the light people. Like I said, it's like a, it's like a power grab. They don't, they're empty inside. So they're continually trying to feed and get that positive energy, but it, it's like, it's an empty hole. It Mm -hmm. can never be satisfied. Mm -hmm. It's like a black hole of emotion. So they just keep getting victims and getting victims. And that's the only way they get. And eventually I would almost think it becomes like any other addiction. You just kind of get a hit off of the high of controlling someone's emotions. I, sorry, not sorry, that I think F. Scott Fitzgerald was gaslighting Zelda. Hmm. He talked about when she was in The History Chicks, one of my favorite podcasts, I'll do a shout out for them, uh, go and listen to the Zelda Fitzgerald episode, because I didn't really like Zelda before I listened to their Mm -hmm. episode, but afterwards I was a complete Zelda fan and boo on F. Scott. Actually, this year The Great Gatsby is now in the public domain, and I am very tempted to reissue it with a new cover that says, written by Zelda Fitzgerald's husband. (laughs) written by mrs or mr zelda fitzgerald but anyway um because he stole a lot of her Mm -hmm. diary entries and when she went to the mental institution he asked the doctor what emotion would you like her to have because i can make her do whatever you want that is spoken like a true narcissist to me wow 
And he may have been a great writer, but guys, a lot of what he wrote was her stuff. Mm-hmm. And sorry, not sorry. Wow. That's a really great example. Mm-hmm. Disturbing, but great. Yeah. It was interesting to me thinking about that one idea that we've now brought up several times of projection Yeah. about how, uh, how common it is nowadays, I think for people to not want to take the blame for themselves. Right, and right, right. so it's like kind of a way of going on the offense, you know, like I'm just going to, if I'm doing something that I don't like, or I feel guilty about, or I'm being called on something that I'm doing that that's not good. Like that's how I'm going to react. I'm going to project right. it right onto you. And right. it just seems like it's such a common thing. Mm-hmm. I knew of, this is not anyone close, but I knew of kind of acquaintances where one person ended up being unfaithful to the, the romantic partner and before that partner had figured it out, the the one who was cheating was making a lot of accusations, was constantly saying, I think you're cheating on right. me. You're doing right. this. You're gone. You're flirting. You're And mm-hmm. and the one who was faithful could not understand yes. where this was coming That's from. That's a really big sign, actually, that your spouse may be cheating on mm-hmm. you, is if they accuse you of cheating, if they're obsessed with, like, what are you doing or checking your phone or whatnot. Because another thing is they think that everyone thinks like them. Mm-hmm. So if they lie all the time or if they do something all the time, they think you do too. They mm-hmm. don't understand that there, that there are people who don't do what they do. So if you're, if you have someone in your life that keeps accusing you of doing something, then kind of pause and go, ah, I need to look into this because I bet that's what they're doing to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's another warning sign. We just gave another warning sign that yes, we came we up did. with ourselves. Make a checklist. <laughs> well, that was an interesting little deep dive into gaslighting. Yes, it was. And may I also say that He Needed Killing is available for anyone to produce if they would like to contact me, please. <laughs> All right, Ashley. Well, that was fun. You know what? Who should we give a shout out to at the end of this? How about to those strong people who, when somebody else is trying to victimize them, they are able to, to use whatever strategies are at their disposal and to overcome because it takes a lot. It takes Mm -hmm. a lot of strength. It takes a lot of courage and good for them. That's right. To Bella Manningham and Zelda Fitzgerald. There we go. Cheers. Cheers. This episode of Scandal Water was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown, that's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. All music was written, composed, performed, and mixed by Josh Martin. The artwork was designed by Matt C. Adams. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.